Please turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. I want to read verses 1 through 11 of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. From the Gospel of Matthew, beginning verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things will I give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Human history is the story of the war between God and Satan, and man is the battlefield. Man, and I'm using that term in the general sense of humanity, all of us, man is a moral agent, which means that man has the ability to choose. Now, the, the animal um, only responds instinctively. But you and I, man, created in the image of God, has the ability to choose whom we will love and serve. And so God has been in this conflict with the devil to win our affection. He wants to win our devotion to him, and God wants us to be devoted and to love him. And so man is pulled between two. Now we know how God, uh, what his method of operandi is, his modus operandi, or his method of operation, his strategy his strategy is to win our affection by loving us. The Bible is replete with, the Old Testament is replete with the analogy of God pursuing us like a lover. And he seeks to win and to woo us like a lover seeking the object loved. And Jesus said in the New Testament, And in I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. So he seeks to win us to himself by loving us. But what is the strategy of the devil to seek us, our affection, our devotion to him, 
And what is his method of operation to seek to get us to turn our back upon God? Well, that's why the temptation of Jesus is so important. But one of the key issues, other than the fact that in the temptation he establishes the fact that there is such a personality as the devil. Not everybody believes that. Some people would tell you that if you talk about having encountered Satan, you must be suffering from a severe psychosis or something. Not only does the temptation of Jesus establish the fact that there is a personality like that, but exposes his method of operation, his modus operandi, his strategy. For when Jesus encountered the devil, he drew him out into the light to show us his strategy, his method of operation, and exposed how he seeks to win our affection and our devotion. So how does the devil approach us, and how does he tempt us? The same way he did Eve, and the same way he did Jesus. First of all, he approaches us or he attacks us at the point of our physical desires, our physical appetite. I suppose that we sin in this area more than any other. He appeals to us on the basis of our physical desires. It works so well with Eve. For in the garden that tree was so appealing and so attractive, she salivated when she looked at it. And the devil appealed to Eve at the point of her physical appetite and physical desire. It was so appealing and so attractive. He is so clever and so subtle. And so he comes to Jesus after 40 days of fasting. The scripture says that then he became hungry, just at the right time when he was hungry. The devil comes to him and says, I know you're hungry, and there's absolutely no uh, problem. There is absolutely nothing wrong with a person making bread. It would be foolish for you to starve yourself to death. The only problem is that it isn't the will of God for Jesus to do it like this. Now here's the temptation, watch this. The temptation is for Jesus to use his powers to satisfy his own physical needs. Everybody here this morning has some ability, some powers, and the question is, how are you going to use them? The issue is how you're going to use the power that God gives you. Are you going to do it to satisfy hungers? Or are you going to use them to fulfill the will of God for your life? Are you going to use them to satisfy God-given desires or the will of God? That's the real issue. And so the devil comes and says, you have a God-given need, you have a hunger, and you have the ability to meet that hunger. God be hanged. You need to take care of yourself. You have physical desires. You have physical appetites. You need to fulfill those appetites and meet those desires. And that's the first temptation. And he comes to us, he approaches us at the knock, at the, at the, at the temptation, at the attack of our confidence and our trust in him. Now he quotes from Old Testament scripture in, in the first place from the book of Deuteronomy and at this point from the Psalms. 
passages of Scripture that were written 2,000 years before. Let me say parenthetically that the Jews may not believe that Jesus is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, but the devil did. And so he says to Jesus, Now God has said that he will put his angels in charge of you and will not allow your foot to strike against the stone. But how do you know that that's the truth if God doesn't prove it, if God doesn't give some, give some physical evidence to show that's the truth? You see the subtle temptation. is how do you know you can trust God to do what he says he will do if there is no tangible evidence to show it? Some of us are aware today of a young couple who have been serving God all their life, deeply committed to the Lord. The young man is an FCA director for this region, a fine young Christian young man. They have one little baby, a little child, 14 months old. They just found out this week that that child has an, a, a, an inoperable malignant brain tumor. Now, don't you know that Satan has come to that couple? Don't you know it to say this? Do you really know for sure that God loves you and that he cares for you and that he'll do what he said he would do? Do you have any evidence to support that claim? As a matter of fact, you have in your lap evidence that it is not true. So Satan comes at the level of our confidence to say, oh, what a powerful temptation this is. That if you don't have any tangible evidence or proof, if you don't have any physical evidence to prove it, how do you know that you can trust God? I mean, where did we ever get the idea that God had to answer to us in the first place? For a faith that has to have Proof is not a faith at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus was awakened in the brow of the boat by his disciples, and they said to him, Jesus, do you, don't you care that we're dying? This storm is going to kill us all. And Jesus gets up and rebukes the disciples and says, Oh, you men of little faith, why did you doubt? What Jesus is saying is this, you need to be more concerned about the fact that you don't have faith in the storm, then you need to be concerned about the storm. Can you trust him when the storm is going on? That's the temptation. And then he comes to us at the level of our, our ambitions and desires to succeed. And he tempts us in this subtle way at the point of wanting to get ahead, wanting to achieve, wanting to be successful. Wanting social acceptance and popularity. And so he took Jesus to this high mountain. He said, look out over the kingdoms of the world. I know what you're after. You're after the kingdoms of the world. You want people to follow you, to believe in you. Your life purpose is for people to trust you and to follow you and to accept you. I can tell you how you can get that acceptance. I can show you how to achieve your life purpose. I can give you this popularity and social acceptance that you so desire and crave. This is how you do it. You have to compromise your standards. Now I'm not telling you to turn your back on God. 
What I am telling you is, is that in order for you to get that promotion, in order for you to get that popularity, in order for you to become successful, you're going to have to face reality. You're going to have to lower your standard just a little bit. You're going to have to compromise a little bit. You ever heard that one? I have a feeling this morning, no, it's more than a feeling. I have a deep conviction that most of the people in this world would trade their God for His if He would throw in the world to boot. Now let me tell you what I'm saying. I've got to believe, I believe, that most of us believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we want the world so badly and we want acceptance and popularity so deeply, so, so much, that we are willing to compromise our standard to get it. Somebody did a poll not long ago, I don't know whether it's Barna or Gallup or whatever, I just read it. Now, in the early service this morning, I said I had been polled, but I didn't, I didn't mean this poll. Somebody said, well, which did you choose? I'll, you'll figure it out in a minute. And, 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 and when I said I'd been polled, I was polled a couple of weeks ago by Gallup, but not this poll. You make that clear up front. You understand what I'm saying? This poll had to do with what you would do for $10 million. And they called these folks up and they said, you can have $10 million, but you have to choose one of the options in order to get the $10 million. Take an option, pick a choice, take a choice, and $10 million bucks is yours. Here are the options. Put your children up for adoption. I know some folks would be glad <laughs> to do that without... Put your children up for adoption. Become a prostitute for a week. Give up American citizenship. Abandon your church. Abandon your family. Kill a stranger. Leave your spouse. Change your race. This is how it came out. 7% said they would kill a stranger for $10 million. 6% said they would change their race. 25% said they would abandon their family. 25% said they would abandon their church. Frankly, I thought it would be a higher percentage than that. I, I've known somebody do that for fishing. I mean, 23% <laughs> uh, said they would be a prostitute for a week. 16% said they would give up American citizenship. 16% said they would leave their spouse. And 3% said they would put up their children for adoption. But the most startling thing about the survey is, is that everybody surveyed said they would choose at least one option for $10 million. And some of them said they would choose two or three options for $10 million. Let me tell you what they're saying here. They're saying, I want the world so badly. I want to be successful and independent so much that I'm willing to lower my standard just a little bit in order to achieve it. It's what the Israelis faced when they came into the land of Canaan. For all of the Jews had grown up, every one of them had lived in Egyptian bondage and they'd lived in a slave culture and all they did was make bricks. And so when they got into the land of Canaan, their neighbors came to them and said, 
Now, it is all right for you to be a monotheist as long as you live as a slave in Egypt. But now you're in an agriculture kind of culture and environment, and in order to survive here, you're going to have to add some gods to your monotheistic god. We're not telling you you have to denounce God. What we are telling you is, is that if you're going to succeed in Canaan, you're going to have to add some gods to yours. It's kind of like what he did when you moved into the Darm college students. What the devil says is this. Now back in Podunk Holler, in that little old country church where you used to go and used to attend, when you were under the thumb of your parents, it was all right for you to live like you've lived. But now this is the real world. If you're going to make it here, you're going to have to compromise some. And that's what he says to each of us. Now being... A Christian is all right. Nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you something. This is the real world, and if you're going to be successful in the real world, you can't live with that kind of standard. You're going to have to compromise a little bit. If he'll give me the world, I'll trade my God for his. If he'll give me that social acceptance, I'll trade my God for his. If he'll give me that promotion, that sale, I'll wine and dine him if he wants it. I'll trade my God for his. For what is important to me is to be successful. That's how he comes to us. Now we know his modus operandi. Heavy little term from the courtroom there. His modus operandi. What do we do about it? There's a preacher I heard about. He had preached a sermon on the devil. He had three points. Point one was who the devil is. Point two was what the devil does. That's where we've been. Point three was what the devil we can do about the devil. Now, so we've, we've come to that point now. What can we do about him? Now watch this carefully. I believe that there are three ways that you and I have to deal with his assault. Watch this. First, there must be absolute subordination, submission to the Word of God. Absolute submission, subordination to the Word of God. Now when the devil tempted him at the point of his physical appetites, Jesus said, Man shall not live on bread, but he will live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. Now whatever else he meant by that statement, he meant this that life is not a matter of bread. Life is a matter of subordination and submission to the Word of God. Now I think sometimes that we misunderstand, we have a shallow idea of what's happening here. I've had people say to me, I know how you deal with the devil, you quote him scriptures like Jesus did. Well, most of us don't know any scriptures. I mean, we quote him John 3, 16, you think that's going to be, you know, and, 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 and it's not really that, not, not really the best to memorize a bunch of scripture so that you can lay them on the devil when he comes. He knows more scripture than you know. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is this, is that you make a conscious choice, watch this, somewhere in your life, maybe this morning, where you decide that you're going to live your life in subordination to his word. Now there's a two-fold two, two idea here and I want you to see it. Life is not a matter. Life does not consist in eating the right things or meeting the right kinds of physical needs. 
Let me tell you something. Let me see if I can say it like this. You're not alive today because you eat the right kind of food and get the right kind of exercise and rest. Jim Fix was a marathon runner and he died jogging. I ought to tell you something about jogging. <laughs> now, you, you, can eat, you can eat all the right food and get the right amount of rest and, and, and get all the exercise that's required. That's not going to keep you alive. Let me tell you what's going to keep you alive. God decrees that you live. That's what keeps you alive. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you go out and eat fat food and, and uh, become a couch potato, eat and you know, drink wine and smoke. <laughs> I'm not saying that a guy can put a pistol to his head and pull the trigger, and if it's not his time, God will put his finger in the, in the, in the hammer. I've had people tell me that. He put his finger in the, in the, in the hole of the pistol. I'm not going to try it. Now you, 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 you might if you want what I am saying, what I'm not saying is, is that we're alive. You're, you're not sitting there because you do the right things physically. You're sitting there alive because God has decreed that you live. For He holds your life. And when, they, when the people of Israel got into Canaan, they went and griped into Moses and they said, we're going to perish. We don't have anything to eat. And God said to them, Tidwell translation, guys, you're not going to perish until I say for you to perish. Whether you have anything to eat or not. There's a kind of a flip side to this also. You can see I'm kind of worked up about this. There's a kind of a flip side to this also, and it's this. is that satisfying the physical desires does not guarantee that life is going to be life. Because satisfying your physical appetites does not guarantee life as it ought to be lived. Let me tell you what guarantees life to be life. It's when you live by the Word of God. You can take a fish out of the water and throw him on the back. You watch his, watch his fins. Is that gills? Watch his gills gasping for breath. Watch his scales dry up and you can pile a mountain of cash on top of that fish give him a beach chair and sunglasses and a playfish magazine to read and I, guarantee, I guarantee you I promise you he's not going to live let me tell you what's going to give life to that fish put him back in his element now watch this let me tell you what your element is because you're created in the image of God your element is to live by his word by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the father and sometimes we have to make a conscious somewhere in life we make a conscious effort conscious choice I'm going to live my life subordinated to his word second there must be total subordination submission to the will of God and so Jesus said to the devil, you will not tempt the Lord your God. It's written. Now let me tell you what I think it means by tempting the Lord God. I think it means to presume upon his goodness and take advantage of our relationship. Now in the wilderness, they presumed upon the goodness of God. And he brought them out of Egypt and he was giving them a new land and a new kingdom and they complained and they griped. 
And they presumed upon that goodness and they took advantage of their relationship. Not unlike some of us. Now in the Old Testament there are illustrations. In the book of Micah it says that the people ripped off the widows and beat up the orphans and said, as justification, God is with us. And what Micah was, the prophet was condemning was that they were living ungodly and they were justifying what they were doing by the fact that God was with them and He wasn't stopping them. That is, tempting the Lord God. It is presuming upon His goodness and taking advantage of a relationship. And that's what Jeremiah meant when he said, My people have made this house of God, which was to be a house of prayer, a den for thieves. And a den for thieves is where thieves run and hide when they've ripped somebody off. And what God's people were doing was this. They were going out and ripping people off and they were running to church. And they were hiding in the church saying, God's not going to bother us here. And they were presuming upon His goodness and taking advantage of His relationship. Now let me ask you a question. Are we not guilty of that? And then there is absolute subordination and submission to the worship of God. Here's what he said. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and Him only shalt thou serve. Let me tell you what worship is. Worship is putting God first in every aspect of your life. It's not just what you do when you are in a house of worship. You can be in a house of worship center and not worship God. Worship God worshiping God is when we put God first in every aspect of our lives. Now, if we are tempted at the point of ambition and, we, and, and the devil knows that we have already subordinated ourselves to, his, to, to make him first in our life, he'll flee. Because on every man's scale of values, Somebody or something has to be first. You've heard of Brother Lawrence, 15th century Franciscan monk. So in love with God was Brother Lawrence. On one occasion he said, I love God so much, I wish I could do something for Him, and he didn't know who did it so he wouldn't bless me in return. Now you put that up against some TV evangelists you know. He said, I wish that I, I wish I could do something for God and he didn't know who did it, so I wouldn't get blessed in return. And when Brother Lawrence died, before his death he went into a coma and his colleagues were standing around his bed and he came out of this coma and startled them with this statement, I'm not dying. I'm just doing what I've always done every day of my life. And they said, Brother Lawrence, what have you always done every day of your life? He said, worship the God that I love. 
how do I deal with this guy, this, this being? If he comes to me at the point of my physical appetite, he needs to see that I've already subordinated myself to the Word of God. If it's not his Word, I'm not going. If he comes to me at the point of ambition and success, he needs to see that I've already submitted myself to his will, his worship. If he comes to me at the point of doubt, he needs to see that I've already subordinated myself to his will and I'm able to say the Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Have you done that? Is that the decision and choice you've already made? Perhaps you'd like to make that choice today. Let's pray. Our Father, grant us in these moments the courage to do your will, the will to do your will, the desire to give our affection and our, our service and our worship to you. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Now, there may be some this morning, look here, who need to come for the first time to give your heart to Christ. You've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior. Jesus is waiting to come into your life, waiting for your invitation, waiting for your trust. The only proof you need is the proof of the cross that He loves you and died for you. Would you come this morning to give your heart to Christ? Maybe your decision is a decision that Christians make. The recommitment of your life to Him. You've lived in, outside of His will and His Word. You've compromised. Lower your standards in order to gain something. And you need to get back to Him. Or perhaps you need to come this morning as a Christian and place your life in the discipline of a local church that your witness might be effective on the campus or in the community. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.